Welcome to Practical Christian Living. Jesus identifies with us when he's baptized. That's what Romans chapter 6 tells us. That when we are baptized, we are baptized into his death. And that when we come out of the water, it is a symbol of his resurrection. We join with him in his death and we come out of the water in a newness of life and the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus identified with us when he was baptized and we identify with him when we are baptized. The scriptures tell us that we have a high priest in Jesus who we can identify with on every level because he walked on this earth as a man. The Bible tells us he was 100% man and 100% God. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted, to grieve, to be rejected and persecuted. One of the many moments we see Jesus as our perfect example is at his baptism. Yes, Jesus was baptized. With more on why from our opening study in Matthew chapter 3 and our series, Jesus Appointments, here's Robert Furrow, pastor of Calvary, Tucson. Psalms 119 is acrostic. There's a group of verses that all start with the first letter and then the second letter and the third letter. Well, we had one psalm that we knew a verse was missing because it was an acrostic psalm, but there was a verse missing. It was discovered in the Dead Sea Scrolls. They found the copy in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the verse that was missing was there and the verse said something like this. You can look it up yourself, but the verse said something like this. God's word is totally trustworthy. <laughs> Isn't that great? It was like God saying to us, I got something for you. A little wink from heaven. You can trust my word. You can believe in my word that when we find a verse that we knew was not there, that we go back and find a discovery in the Dead Sea Scrolls and it speaks of the trustworthiness of God's word. So John the Baptist knew who he was. He knew that he was a voice crying in the wilderness. He knew he wasn't the Messiah. And we need to know who we are. Who are you? He knew who he was. Who are you? You're part of the church, the ecclesia. And the ecclesia is not a word in Greek that means religious gathering. That's not what the church is. The word ecclesia is a borrowed word from the Greek culture where in Athens they had a group of people that were called out. It was about 600 of them that were called out and they were given authority and power to start wars, to, uh, to, to vote in magistrates, to head up leadership. They were the organization in the ancient Greek world that controlled things. They were given power and authority and they were called out from the people. And so in the New Testament, Jesus himself uses the word ekklesia to speak of us. It is that we are called out. We have been given power and authority. We need to know that because sometimes we feel like, well, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm just kind of like I'm, I'm out there. I'm just, a, I'm, I'm the least of the Christians. I'm just, I'm not really being used by God. Jesus said, Behold, I give you power to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will by any means hurt you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. And if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will be able to remove mountains. And if you have a faith of a child, nothing will be, will be held from you. We have been given all of that. Now we have been given the power of the Holy Spirit because we have come to him and we have drank. Any of you who are thirsty, come unto me and drink and out of you will gush torrents of living water. That's who we are. If John the Baptist didn't know who he was, how would he be bold with his words? How would he be out in the wilderness of Judea telling people the kingdom of heaven is at hand? He knew he was the one to introduce Jesus. 
And you should know that you are called to introduce Jesus. The salt of the earth, the light of the world, that's who we are. I suggest that we are far more significant than we think and that God is using you in far greater ways than you think. Now look at verse 4. It says, Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. I want to say that's not normal. It wasn't normal then, and it isn't normal now. It is different. Do you know that God can use different? Are you different? Hey, there you go. You're the kind of person that God, God uses. God uses different kinds of people. And he can even use somebody that dresses in camel's hair. I'm told that camel's hair is really itchy. Elijah had camel's hair, wore camel's hair, and there's a connection between Elijah and John the Baptist. John the Baptist is coming in the spirit and the power of Elijah and Elijah will introduce Jesus at his second coming as John the Baptist introduced him at his first coming. So we've got that connection. But I have a little bit of experience with camel's hair on a camel. And I can tell you it doesn't smell good. I, uh, I, when I first went to Israel, I've been there around 14 times now. When I first went to Israel, I, of course I had to ride a camel. You'd go to a gas station and, and it'd be like, there's a camel and they're giving camel rides. So I rode a camel a few times. And then when I married Kathy, which was five years ago, we went to Israel together and I, and I had swore off camels. After about the second time, I said, never again. I'm done. I'm not going to ride a camel again. They're mean. They spit. They're hard to ride. They want to get you off of it. I'm, I'm done. But Kathy's like, please, please ride a camel with me. Please, just ride a camel with me. So there I am again and I'm riding a camel. And everything I thought about camels when I was younger is true. They stink. I don't know that John the Baptist stunk because his might have been clean, but I doubt it. This guy lives in the wilderness, all right? He has long hair because he was told, to, Dad Zachariah was told not to cut his hair because he would be a Nazarite from birth. Men in their day didn't have long hair. Jesus probably didn't have long hair, even though all our pictures of Jesus have long hair. Men in their day didn't wear long hair like what we see pictures of Jesus. John would have probably looked like a little bit of a crazy guy. He's got camel's hair. He's got a leather belt. He's eating locusts which are bugs, if you don't know. <laughs> and he's dipping him in honey to eat. This is, this is anything but normal, but God gets the interest of people with that. And I think that God uses us. He chooses people. The people in the world go, huh, huh. Oh, I wonder what God's doing. So it says that he was clothed with leather and camel's hair and he had wild honey. And then it says, And then Jerusalem and Judea and all of the regions around the Jordan went out to see him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. When it says all of Judea, Judea is a region. I don't know that it means every single person. Because sometimes all doesn't mean all, but all can never mean few. It had to be the significant majority of people that were coming out to see John the Baptist. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was the long-promised one. And we need to get a sense of the anticipation that they had. They were looking for the Messiah. I thought it might be good to look at a couple of the teachings of John the Baptist. We're told in Luke chapter 3 some of the things that he taught. First of all, some people came to him and said, he had told them already, repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told them to confess their sins and he baptized them. And then some people asked him, what should we do? How should we live? And in Luke 3, 11, he said, He who has two tunics, give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. 
Me and Kathy were driving home last night talking about that verse because I don't have two tunics. Uh, do you? I, I got like 200 tunics. I got a lot of changes of clothes. I have, my, my closet is collected with two things for skinny Robert and slightly heavier Robert. <laughs> do you guys have that? I'm not the only one, right? But I got a lot of clothes. And I understand that changes of clothes were worth a lot more in their day. But I find this very much like what Jesus said. I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I find the teachings of John and the teachings of Jesus are close and that we are called by God to meet people's needs when they are hurting. That's part of what Christians do. A tax collector in Luke 3.12 asked John, what shall I do, teacher? And he said, collect no more than what is appointed to you. Be fair and don't cheat people. And then in Luke 3.14, a soldier asked him, what should I do? And he said, do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. Very much like the ministry of Jesus, John and Jesus were kindred spirits. They were kindred spirits in this next part too because in verse 7 we're told, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to be baptized, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance and do not think to say to yourself, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to rise up children to Abraham from these stones. Brood of vipers. Here you have the most significant spiritual leaders of his day. Jesus kept his harshest words for these people. They were arrogant. They thought they were good because of the works that they did. They were coming out to be baptized to do what everybody else was doing. And he calls them a brood. You know, you know what a brood is? It's a bunch of little baby snakes. He doesn't just call them a bunch of snakes. He's like, you brood of vipers who taught you to flee from the wrath that is to come. And I got to tell you, when I hear Jesus talk to the Pharisees, when I see Jesus especially warning us, don't stand up and pray to be seen by men. Don't give to be seen by men, but give privately, pray privately. I wonder if the church in general, the evangelical church specifically, isn't becoming more and more pharisaical as time goes on. That's not the first time you've heard me say that. It's been a concern of mine for many years. I think sometimes we're not sincere. We're, we're hypocritical. We are not real in our faith and we put on airs that we are more than we really are and that is more pharisaical than it is like Jesus or like John the Baptist. We want to be humble. We want to be real. We want to be sincere. We don't want to look down our nose at anyone and we don't want to lay trips on anyone that God hasn't told people to do. There's enough things that God has told them to do without us making up our own rules that we think people should follow in order to be spiritual. Just like Jesus, he had his harsh words for these men. He also said in verse 10, and even now the ax is laid at the root of the tree. He's saying, even now a change is coming and you don't even know it. I'm wondering if those aren't words for us today. A change is coming and we don't even know it. I don't know what that change would be, but it sure seems like change is in the air. I don't know whether it's the return of Christ. I don't know whether it's a revival. There are a lot of different people coming up with a lot of different ideas, but I think the ax is laid at the root of the tree. He says, therefore, every tree which does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. He says this to the Pharisees. Being religious isn't good enough. Saying you're a Christian isn't good enough. 
You have to bear good fruits. And you bear good fruits when you walk with Christ and you are genuine and sincere. He goes on in verse 11 and says, Indeed, I baptize you with repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, of whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit he gives us as power to do the work God's called us to do. But the fire is not the fire of the Holy Spirit. Look at the next verse. His winnowing fan is in his hand. A winnowing fan is something you use to separate the chaff from the wheat. It says his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather wheat into the barn and will burn up the chaff in unquenchable fire. Are you wheat or are you chaff? Are you tares or are you wheat? The church is made up of those who think they are Christians and of those who are genuinely Christians. Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven. You have to make sure things are real in your life. Are things in your life real today? Because when Jesus comes on the scene, he separates those kind of things. Verse 13, then Jesus came from Galilee. Jesus walks out of the streets of Nazareth from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. I wonder what that did look like. A lot of movies have, have pictured John first seeing Jesus coming to him. I don't know whether he came out of nowhere and John wasn't doing anything or if he stood in line with everybody else. But John has an idea who he is. Maybe John has met him before. Maybe Mary did go to see Elizabeth. But remember, Elizabeth is significantly older than Mary. Elizabeth certainly by this time has passed away. Zachariah had said of his wife, she is exceedingly old. He said to the angel, it's really funny when you think about it. So Zacharias goes into the temple. He draws lots to go into the temple. He's burning incense at the incense altar, which is a symbol of the prayers of the saints. You don't get to do this often because there's so many priests. He had to draw lots to do it. it Gabriel is there. It, there's not supposed to be anybody in the, in the temple, right? He's in the holy place. He walks in, there's an angel. Gabriel says, don't be afraid. Your prayers have been answered. Now, I don't know what prayers he meant. Maybe he had prayed that he would have children, but I bet it was a long time ago. But he had also been praying while he was burning incense at the altar because that's what it was. You burned the incense and you prayed and it was a symbol of the people of God's prayer making an incense in heaven. And I think he might have been praying for the Messiah. And Gabriel said, your prayers have been answered. And then he said, your wife is going to conceive and bear a child and you call his name John. And he said, I'm old. And my wife is extremely old. Read it. That's what he says. He says, I'm old and my wife is exceedingly old. So, so by this time, she's probably not around. And Jesus grew up in Egypt, right? He fled Herod and he grew up in Egypt or at least part of his childhood in Egypt. And then he comes back to Nazareth and maybe he connected with John the Baptist, but we don't know that for sure. But John has a sense that this is him. He says, I need to be baptized by you, the middle of verse 14. And you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then he allowed him and he baptized him. Jesus is not being baptized because he needs to repent or confess his sins. The Bible says that he was tempted in every way that we were tempted, are tempted, and yet without sin. Which really is something to think about as well. Jesus was tempted just like we're tempted. But Jesus did not give in to that sin. But Jesus identifies with us when he's baptized. That's what Romans chapter 6 tells us. 
that when we are baptized, we are baptized into his death and that when we come out of the water, it is a symbol of his resurrection. We join with him in his death and we come out of the water in a newness of life and the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus identified with us when he was baptized and we identify with him when we are baptized. Jesus has identified with you. He's identified with me, even though we are sinners. And that's what that baptism was all about. Now, verse 17 tells us, or excuse me, verse 16 says, and when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. John said in uh, John, John the Baptist said in John chapter one, I believe it is, I didn't know him, but I knew that the one who told me to go and preach had told me that when the Spirit of God alights on him and stays there, that's the one I've chosen. So this was a sign to John that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And then a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. That's pretty dramatic. The heavens open up, uh, the Spirit as a dove descends upon Jesus and a voice from heaven says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But do you know shortly after this that John the Baptist was arrested and that in prison he began to wonder? He didn't see things changing right away. It didn't happen in the way he expected it. And so he sent disciples to Jesus. And, and John the Baptist's disciples said, are you the one or should we look for another? After he saw all this, he had some doubts. That's a little mind-boggling, isn't it? I think if John could face this, and then in the midst of prison, which must have been tough, right? He's wondering, is this really the way it's supposed to happen? I think that we have expectancies as to how God's going to use us as the church, as the ecclesia. And we too have doubts whether God's really using us. But I want to say that everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit is with you. Everywhere you go, there's a spiritual battle taking place with souls. Just as John the Baptist knew who he was and we know who we are, we should know that we are the light of the world and that we are called the plant seeds, we are called the water, and we are called the harvest. And we are not always doing all three of those things. We just faithfully persevere and do the work that God has called us to do and the lives of people around you are going to be touched. Now, a couple of things I want to call the group to come back up now, if they would please, and I want to share with you these three things in closing. Number one, John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. And that is always the point that, that we should have in our lives. Jesus should always be increasing and we should be decreasing in the lives of people around us. It's not us that is drawing people to the Lord. It is God working in us that is drawing people to him. And I love that this one who Jesus said something very significant about is one whom uh, said, I must decrease as he increases. Point number two, um, point number two in John 1, 35 and 37, it says, the next day John stood with two of his disciples and looking at Jesus as he said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed him. John the Baptist saw Jesus walking by. He had John and Andrew with him and he said, behold, the Lamb of God. And they left him and they went to Jesus. We just point to Jesus. Jesus is the one who draws them. Jesus is the one who brings them in. I believe that our job is the same exact job that John the Baptist had. That just as John the Baptist was a forerunner for Jesus, you and I are forerunners as well. And as we live our lives, our job is just to point to Jesus. 
The third point in closing is that Jesus said of John, of all the men born among women, the greatest prophet is John the Baptist. What a statement to say. Moses, Elijah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, all of these Old Testament prophets, the greatest of them is John. But then he said this, but you who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than him. This new church, this New Testament way that we live is greater than the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Do we have the person here who's least in the kingdom of heaven? I'm just wondering. Anybody? Yeah. Got a couple candidates. Got more of them. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I got my hand raised. You know, I might be him. I might get to heaven and God goes right to the back, Robert. The very back. No, no. All the way. All the way to the back. You who are least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John the Baptist. John the Baptist had this incredibly significant call to be the one to introduce Jesus. But what this tells us is that our call is even greater. We as the church, we as the salt, we as the light, that we have a significant place in this world and that God is using every one of us in our time and in our generation. And I'll end this service by saying, John knew who he was. Do you know who you are? And do you know how God is using you? Stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for this time that we have been able to spend together in your word and studying this appointment that Jesus had with John the Baptist. There are so many things that we have learned today, but, but so significant is our position of who we are called and what we are called to do. And we pray now that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit that we would be the light of the world, the salt of the earth, that in this time where our whole world, our whole lives have been changed, that we would reevaluate who we are and what we are about as we live wholeheartedly for you. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for a couple of minutes. I'd also like to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here momentarily, I promise. But if you're here today or if you're listening on Reach Radio or you're watching online and you have never invited Jesus Christ into your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that today. The Bible says in John chapter 1 verse 12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. And Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. So that if you want to receive Jesus today, you have to be deliberate. You have to say, I want him in my life. If you have never done that, you don't become a Christian by osmosis. You don't become a Christian just because you were born going to church with a family or because you've gone to church your whole life. Again, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But you become a Christian when you are deliberate and you say, Lord, I want you in my life. I invite you in with all of the power, all of your forgiveness and all that you have. I give my life to you. And Jesus said in John chapter three, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, I'd love you to pray with me. Pray this prayer with me. If you're listening on the radio, just pray it. You can keep your eyes open while you pray. That's fine. If you're watching, then just pray with me this prayer. Repeat after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess that I've sinned. And I know my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven 
by the death of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Welcome to the family of God. We pray that the Lord is speaking to you in a personal way here at Practical Christian Living. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, Calvary Tucson is open and holding physical services while being mindful of social distancing guidelines. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service online at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living Radio has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org, where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or have questions about salvation? Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson and Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living Sunday mornings at 8.30 on KGUN 9 TV. May we walk worthy while we wait for the return of our Savior. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.